0: So we'll continue with our topic of singing as an element of worship. And last week we looked at what the scriptures say about singing, and how it was done throughout the Old Testament period, all the way through the New, and also throughout the history of the church. But today I want to focus on the more practical aspects of singing in worship. I should begin by making some observations on where the church is today with regards to singing and praise music. Now. I'm not an expert in music, um, but it's evident that the taste in music has changed over the centuries, even within the last few years. Uh, Music styles are changing more rapidly than ever. And the reason for this is that we have more access to music digitally. And as a result, our culture is quicker to be discontent and is always wanting new, new music. And they're always seeking the new trends in the music industry and seeking for newer styles. Uh, Music is more accessible, and it's also on demand. So all you need to do is click a button, and you can download uh, the the latest album. Now, this affects the way we understand music in general, but more specifically, it affects the way music is produced. So just thinking from the artist's standpoint. For example, centuries ago, music wasn't merely a product of a market the way it is today. There are reasons why music was produced in the past that... Um, makes it different from today. It it served different purposes in the past. But in today's time, the producer is more likely to be, in my opinion, disproportionately concerned with sales and with satisfying the customer in more immediate ways than thinking long term. A major factor in music uh, producing today, with the exception of a few artists, is, is how to stimulate a wider range of people with production formulas that always seem to get the job done and to get higher sales. Those are the, the priorities often in the music industry. Now, what does this have to do with singing in worship? Well, as we think deeply about the biblical purpose of singing in church and the function of music in worship, we need to be wise in thinking about what is acceptable. Okay? So, for example, when picking songs to sing in worship We can't have the same mindset that we do when we pick songs at home. It's not about what sonically stimulates you that is the priority of selecting music for worship. And in addition, song selection for corporate worship has to be mindful of what the artist or the producer's goal was in making that song. Now, often we make the mistake of quickly allowing certain songs in our corporate worship simply because the song is labeled a Christian song. Even songs that are lyrically consistent with the Bible may not necessarily make it appropriate for corporate worship. Content matters, of course, but the method in which we sing the content matters also, especially if we desire to fulfill what God designed this specific element to be like. Many, many of the songs that are on the Christian radio station have been selected by the radio station to meet certain industry standards. Firstly, the radio station needs to get listeners. We know that. They need to keep running as a, as a radio station or as a business. And they need to pay their workers. And therefore, they need hits. Right? They need the best. But the best for them isn't with corporate worship in mind or at least the corporate worship setting in mind. With that said, we need to keep in mind that even though they may may be a good Christian radio station and are seeking to please God in their music, as a business, they have a priority of looking for songs that will draw many listeners, at least to some degree. So even though the lyrics to many Christian songs may be fine biblically, you might discover that it is unsingable in corporate gatherings. You may also find that many verses in these songs seem a bit shallow or overly repetitive, primarily because their lyrics were written to ride the music rather than the music being controlled by the lyrical content. See, there's, there's already designs that are inherently made for a specific industry. Many songs on Christian radio are more like anthems, and therefore heavily dependent upon the musical production than for the lyrics to carry the weight on its own. And even though there isn't anything sinful or wrong with that music, it often does not work well with the purpose that music and song is to have in corporate worship. So I want to I begin by looking at some scripture pass- passages that help us to understand the goal and the purpose of singing in worship. Um, and let's look at the, look, Let's look at these verses. I'll start with Psalm 100 uh, verse 2 Psalm 100 verse 2 And it, it reads like this it says serve the Lord with gladness come into his presence with singing So what what we gain from this verse is that the function of singing in worship or in a worship service, is to, uh, to sing direct praises to God. So we, you see here, come into his presence with singing. We're going before God, and we're singing to him. So function number one is a direct praise to God. And another verse that supports that, supports that is Acts 16, verse 25, which reads this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The key key phrase there is singing hymns to God. So God is the audience. God is the one on the receiving end of the praises, and therefore the songs that we sing are to be directed to God. A second purpose, biblical purpose, that we find for singing in worship is that singing is a proclamation of God's acts as well, or it can function that way. Um, and you see this in Psalm 26, verses 6 through 7. And it reads this, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving out loud, and telling all your wondrous deeds. Um, And even historically, and I mentioned this last week, that part of the temple worship was that during the sacrifices, they would sing a psalm, uh, and they would sing a psalm that would proclaim the wondrous deeds of God. So there's another function of singing in worship there. Number one, it's a direct praise to God. Number two, it's singing proclaiming out loud the wondrous deeds of God. And then point number three, uh, or function, or purpose number three, is that singing is a form of corporate edification. Singing is a form of corporate edification. You see this in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20. And that verse reads this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, and here it is, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we see here that uh, you singing addresses one another, uh, which means that singing is a form of corporate edification. Now, this brings us to the follow-up question. What should be the content of our singing? Well, the answer to that is God's word. God's word. Now, that may raise up a few questions in people's mind. Are we to sing only the specific words of our Bibles? I would argue no, not necessarily. By singing God's word, I mean singing lyrics that are consistent with the meaning and message of God's word. Uh, one, One pastor says it this way. The meaning of Scripture is the Scriptures. The meaning of Scripture is the Scriptures. In other words, the message of God's Word is God's Word. Now, there's an obvious distinction between the inspired Scriptures, of course, and the writings of men. And we should always prefer the inspired Word, and I would argue even for singing. Nevertheless, we've inherited theologically rich and biblically faithful hymns written by the church throughout the centuries that capture biblical truths that I believe are appropriate for praise and worship to God because their foundation is the word of God itself. It's almost like a, a, a new translation, if you will. Now, it still requires that whatever song you sing be faithful to the word of God at every point. You know, there's not a point in that song where we say, oh, it's okay to deviate in this area or in this particular verse. No. When we choose songs to sing, they they should be accurate and faithful to to the word of God. So again, their foundation is the word of God itself. When considering the use of singing as proclamation, that's one of the points that I made um, about the function of singing in in worship. When considering the use of singing as proclamation, as I noted earlier, uh, an interesting fact mentioned by Eusebius was how hymnody was used by the early church during the 4th century to fight against heresies in their day. Uh, St. Ephraim, the Syrian, for example, composed over 150 hymns of his own to counter the influence of false teaching during his time. Now, it doesn't mean that he just wrote stuff and said, okay, this is our new hymn book. No, the, the, the hymns that he was writing were built upon the truths of Scripture, and they were faithful to Scripture. They were just clear explanations um, that were accessible for the people hearing the songs being sung, or the hymns being sung, in their time. And this is how it it became effective in fighting against heresies in in his time. And so from this we see that the benefit of hymns, not as a replacement of the Psalter, but as songs that exposit the Psalter or explain the truths of the Psalms and even of the biblical canticles that we see in the New Testament, songs of the New Testament. For example, think about the lyrics to the hymn, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Think about the, 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 uh, the lyrics there and, and the Trinitarian emphasis and the Trinitarian clarity when it says merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So, such a song of praise, especially when it's sung congregationally, powerfully sets us apart from false churches around us, such as the Unitarians or the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses who reject the Orthodox Nicene doctrine of the Trinity. This 19th century hymn is biblically grounded And it's biblically grounded with references from Isaiah 6, 3 and Revelation 4, 8. So it's uh, singing the theology of scripture, which is faithful to the word of God. Now with that said, I would still argue that the church is in need for recovering the practice of psalm singing, which has been lost throughout the last centuries, ever since hymns and contemporary music took over. The majority of the churches throughout its history sang the psalms, almost exclusively yet we have moved away from this biblical practice not necessarily us but I think uh, the modern church in general Uh, though I argue in last week's class that songs other than the 150 songs such as the biblical canticles and other hymns that are built upon the word are acceptable for worship the Psalter I would say still remains the primary uh, book for the church because. Because of how it, first of all, because it's uh, the inspired word of God, and it has lasted throughout the centuries. Um, not like some of the hymns or songs that that we sing, um, or that have been written throughout the years, which have just fallen away or have died. Um, this the Psalter hasn't passed away, and it will never pass away, right? So there's something about the security in uh, staying close to the to, to the scriptures and uh, and never forgetting uh, the use of the Psalter and the practice of singing songs, psalms in church. Some may view psalm singing as a strange practice. <laughs> Ironically, you don't get any more biblical than singing God's word. A common objection to psalm singing is the fact that the psalms are Old Testament words that many believe are not fitting for new covenant realities. However, I think it's a misunderstanding of the use of the psalms Though the psalms seem to only capture the expression of one under the old covenant, the divine author of the psalms perfectly captures, I think, the whole life of man. There are psalms that uh, capture the heart of lament or that you know those dark moments of sorrow. And the psalms captures capture those emotions, um, and those are. Acceptable, you know, we can count on them as being acceptable songs to sing to the Lord. As well as as having those things be uh, something that edifies us while we sing it. Uh, The Psalms perfectly capture the whole life of man, including every range of emotion of the soul. And in addition to that, it promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly, even within the Psalms. And as Martin Luther says, The Psalms picture Christ's kingdom and the condition and nature of all, of all of Christendom. I thought that was uh, pretty interesting, but that's Luther's observation of the Psalms. And I think he's right in saying that there's no better collection of songs for Christians to sing. Another common objection to singing the Psalms is the fear that by forcing a melody to the Psalm, you run the risk of changing the meaning of the text by forcing a translation to fit a tune. However, I'd argue that there are many modern, great modern translations, or great modern uh, psalters that are set for singing. And after close examination, you would see that they've remained a faithful translation to the text itself. Now, others have preferred to chant the psalms for the sake of not losing anything in the translation. I think that's acceptable as well. I think it's a good practice. Nevertheless, the goal of having the word dwelling you richly and singing the word itself, I think is is met in this practice of psalm singing. And from experience, it's a tremendous blessing when you sing with all your heart the very words of God. Um, There's nothing like it when you... um, say when you sing Psalm 22 and you hear the suffering of Christ in that um, and you sing it and of course the goal of the Christian life is to become more like Christ to, to allow the word to dwell in you richly um, and, and to have it be uh, transformative um, and I think one of the greatest ways to do that is to, to read and to sing the very words of God and, and you start to see how it, it really transforms the soul. It really uh, has great effect in your, in your spiritual life. You identify with the words in a unique and special way. And, and considering the fact that the Psalms are Christological in nature, they capture the heart of Christ. And one of the ways that we are further conformed to our Lord is to hide those words in our heart and, of course, to sing them as praises out loud to one another in our worship to God. I want to read a, a few quotes related to psalm singing from people of church history. I, I have a list of them here. I'm only going to pick a few just for the sake of time. But I'll, I'll read Athanasius, uh, and this is actually quoted in uh, the book Why I Love the Psalms by Robert Godfrey. But he quotes Athanasius here, and he says this, I believe that a man can find nothing more glorious than these psalms, for they embrace the whole life of man, the affections of his mind, And the motions of his souls. To praise and glorify God, he can select the psalms suited to every occasion, and thus will find that they were written for him. Uh, Augustine, in his uh, exposition of the Psalms, says this The psalm is his, his with a capital H there, uh, referring to Christ. Let our, let our hearts sing it to him. Let our tongues sing it tunefully to him. And let us depend on him to provide us with what we may fittingly sing. No one sings anything to him that is worthy unless he, had, unless he has first given it. Uh, what we sing today has come to us through the prophet at the prompting of Christ's spirit. And in its, word, in its words, we recognize both ourselves and him. I, th- I thought that was uh, a wonderful explanation of the benefit of singing the Psalms. Um, let me read uh, Gerhardus Voss. Gerhardus Voss uh, is, a, is a modern theologian, 1901, in his book, Race and Glory. Um, he says this The Psalter is of all books of the Bible that book which gives expression to the experimental side of religion. In the law and the prophetic writings, it is God who speaks to his people in the Psalter. We listen to the saints speak to God. Hence, the Psalter has been at all times the part of scripture to which believers have, have most readily turned and upon which they have chiefly depended for the nourishment of their inner religious life of the heart. I say that part of scripture and not merely that part of the Old Testament. For even taking the Old and the New Testament together, the common experience of the people of God will bear us out in affirming that there is nothing in holy writ, which in our, in our most spiritual moments, when we feel ourselves nearest to God, so faithfully and naturally expresses what we think and feel in our hearts as these songs of the pious Israelites. Our Lord himself, who had a perfect religious experience and lived and walked with God in absolute adjustment of his thoughts and desires to the Father's mind and will, our Lord himself found his inner life portrayed in the Psalter in some of the highest moments of his ministry, borrowed from it the language in which his, his soul spoke to God, thus recognizing that a more perfect language for communion with God cannot be framed, end quote. I thought it was very profound and so true. I, I remember in my own experience, uh, times of deep affliction. I'm caught up in a drama. I'm caught up in a problem, uh, a problem with man. I'm caught up in a relational problem. The, the situation is so deep and complex. My heart is burdened and sorrowful. And so the first place I look is YouTube. And I say, let me find a song that would <laughs> help my soul. So I'll, I'll find a song, maybe from uh, an alt- alternative rock or, or some, sort of, um, some sort of song that is going to speak to my situation. And I could not find it. I'm, fi- I'm, I'm looking for the lyrics that are going to speak to my situation so that I can cry these things out. And you know, when I was a young teenager, uh, there, were, there were a lot of songs when I was in high school there were a lot of songs that spoke to me, and a lot of the artists at the time, rock artists uh, and rap artists too, uh, spoke to me because they were dealing with issues that are very general and broad. But there are moments in your life where the, 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 the thing that's afflicting your soul is so complicated and is so, it seems so unique to you that you can't find the right music to speak to it. Uh, you can't find the right poem even to speak to it. And I'll never forget um, in recent years, uh, when my soul was so afflicted by a, a, a situation that I was going through, um, I, I could only turn to the Psalms, where it spoke about things that I never, I never thought would be written. Um, and throughout my whole Christian life, um, I never stopped and considered. And as I would read the, uh, the sorrows that were being expressed, by the the the, the psalmist I, I was praising god for um holy spirit inspired words that were speaking to me at that very moment so a little little recommendation when when your situation is that complicated and you can't find music or poems or lyrics or anything to, to speak to your situation you can trust that the psalms will have uh, something that speaks to that situation as complicated and as unique as you uh, think your situation may be. Um, so there goes my promotion, my uh, advertisement for, for considering the Psalms. I want us to take a close look at Ephesians 5.9. And when you get there in your Bibles, I want you to put your finger there and hold that because there's another verse that says the same thing. And that other verse is Colossians 1.16. So Ephesians 5.19. And then we'll look at Colossians 1.16. And these are verses that are commonly used to reference what the church ought to be singing. And, and most of us know this verse by heart, or, or you'll know it when you hear it. <clears throat> Beginning with... Ephesians 5.19, the verse says this. It says, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So when we think about what what, what are we supposed to be singing, we immediately rush to this verse and we say, oh, perfect, we can sing psalms, we can sing hymns and spiritual songs. Um, And then we look at... Uh, Colossians three sixteen, and it tells us something similar. It says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." Uh, now, this verse is often miss interpreted by many Uh, assuming that Paul here is listing three distinct types of songs for us to sing the Psalms right that one's probably the most clearest Uh, hymns or maybe hymns of praise and then the third one is spiritual songs songs that we deem to be spiritual however many important theologians seem to agree to a different kind of interpretation than is is often misunderstood Uh, Their interpretation is quite different. I'll I'll, I'll begin with John Gill. He's an 18th century theologian. Um, And I think he rightly understands and interprets this this passage, that psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms are actually the title for the whole book of of psalms. Uh, Listen to what he says. He says this, and I quote, By psalms are meant the psalms of David, and others which compose the book that goes by that name, for other psalms, for, for other psalms there are none. And then he goes on to say, but these are only another name for the book of psalms. The running title of which may as well be the book of hymns, as it is rendered by Ainsworth. And the psalm, which our Lord sung with his disciples after the supper, is called a hymn. And so are the psalms in general called hymns by Philo, the Jew, and songs and hymns by Josephus, and songs and praises, or hymns, in the Talmud. And by spiritual psalms are meant the same, psalms of David, Asaph. And the titles of many of them are songs, and sometimes a psalm and song. I'm trying to, when I say song and psalm, I'm trying to make sure you hear me say psalm and song. So bear with me there. Uh, Sometimes a psalm and song and song and psalm, a song of degrees together with all other scriptural songs written by inspired men and which are called spiritual because they are uh, indicted by the spirit of God, consists of spiritual matter and are designed for spiritual edification and are opposed to all profane, loose and wanton songs. These three words answer to psalms, hymns, and ode, or songs. The several titles of David's psalms, from whence it seems to be the intention of the apostle that these should be sung in gospel churches. So we have obviously a case to be singing first and foremost. um, But the specific command here that we find in Colossians 3.16 when it says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it's, it's really giving you three subtitles that are the titles for the whole canon of the Psalter. I'll go on and, and, and uh, break that down a little bit more. Matthew 26, 30, um, and this is just in support of that. D.A. Carson has a commentary. You don't have to turn to the passage, but notice... Um, when, when you hear in that passage in Matthew 26, 30, the use of the word hymn, it, it's, it's actually just talking about a part of the Psalms. So this is what D.A. Carson says. He says, the hymn, normally sung, was the last part of the Hallel, which is Psalm 114 through 118 or 115 through 118. It was sung antif- antiphonally. Jesus, as the leader, would sing the lines and his followers would respond with, Hallelujah! Uh, but all that to say is that there are parts of the, the Gospels, parts of the New Testament, where the word hymn is used, but it's really just a reference to the Psalms. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, this is what John Calvin says. When he says, I will sing psalms, or I will sing, he makes use of a particular instance instead of a general statement. For as the praises of God were the subject matter of the Psalms, he... By singing the psalms, blessing God or rendering thanks to him, for in our supplications we either ask something from God or we acknowledge some blessing that, it, that has been conferred upon us. Um, Calvin here is saying that typically it was understood, wh- whether it's prayers, praises, anything that's been given to God, sacrifices even, it was always something given to God that was already first given to us. That's what Calvin is saying here. And so, from this passage, however, we we at the same time infer that the custom of singing was, even at the time, in use among believers, as appears also from Plinley, who, writing at least 40 years after the death of Paul, mentions that the Christians were accustomed to singing psalms to Christ before daybreak. I, this is Calvin, have also no doubt that from the very first, they followed the custom of the Jewish church in singing psalms. So you see that, that there was, a, that was at least a priority of singing the psalms. Now, as I mentioned before, just I have to say this a few times in my lecture, um, this doesn't mean that they they'd never sang anything other than that, right? But you see the priority of the Psalter in the life of the church. My favorite commentary thus far related to, to the passages that, that we're talking about here, is Greg Beale's commentary of, of the Colossians. And Beale says this about Colossians 3.16. He says, the close syntactical combination of psalm, psalmos, hymn, hymnos, and song, ode, within the space of one verse occurs only two times in the Psalter, in, in the Greek lexicon, of Psalm 66, 1, and 75, 1, where they are part of the superscriptions, uh, the three words in Colossians may be plural since the, since the allusion is to both psalms and representing the whole corpus of psalms. All of this points to the three terms in Colossians 3:16 referring to actual Old Testament psalms, or songs, hymns composed on the basis of such psalms, which would now be related to the new revelation of Christ. Since all three words refer to Old Testament psalms, there is no need to try to find distinct meaning among them. Uh, Indeed, as we saw above, Paul says, letting the word of Christ dwell with you, which is interesting because if if we're quoting... If, if we're saying psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, and we're referring to something of the Old Testament, and Paul is saying, let that dwell in you richly, but he's saying, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, you see that, that uh, Paul is tying psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, which we now understand to be the Psalter, uh, to be s- something Christological, meaning that it, it, it's, um, it's the words of Christ himself. Anyway, that's sort of a side note. But he's saying that all three words refer to the Old Testament Psalms, and there's no need to try to find distinct meaning among them. Um, I'm going to quick. I'm just going to summarize what all of these, these uh, co- all of the commentaries are saying here. Basically, the first century, the Apostolic Church using the Septuagint um, more than any other form or translation of the Old Testament. Um, at, at the top of the psalms were titles or superscriptions. And you can see them even in your own, uh, in, in your own Bible when you open up to the book of Psalms. There's little titles or superscriptions that, that go right before the psalm itself. And there, uh, in those superscriptions described each psalm. They categorize the psalm in four, class, four classes or groups. You had the Psalms, you had the understanding, you had hymns, and you had the ode, or songs, or spiritual songs. So there's four categories within the Psalter, written in the superscriptions. Psalms, understanding, hymns, and uh, songs. And again, remember, Paul invokes the church uh, in Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, which is where we make that connection to the superscription understanding. Singing psalms, there's that second category. Singing hymns, that's third superscription category. And spiritual songs, which is that fourth. So you see in that verse, it seems, I mean, just i'm convinced that it seems to be alluding to the psalter as a whole um now that's how i think we should understand that text that passage but with that said i'm I'm not ready to argue that the psalms must be sung exclusively but we do have a clear command that we ought to at least be singing them on the basis of uh, ephesians 5 and colossians 3. in other words it's not a good idea for us to move away from singing the Psalms. We're, we, we see from Scripture that the, the only command in the New Testament that explicitly tells us we ought to sing something and that tells us what that thing is to be sung is what we find in those two passages, Ephesians and Colossians, and it's specifically referring to the Psalter. Um, now, uh, again, in the, in the time that we're living in today, that's the one thing that has been taking, taken out of corporate worship in in the modern church. You visit any church today, chances are you're probably not going to sing the psalms uh, because uh, other songs have taken over. And again, this is not me saying that those songs, uh, contemporary songs or hymns are not uh, acceptable. They are, um, but it shouldn't be at the expense of uh, the psalter itself. All right, that's enough of my endorsement of psalm singing. At this point, I want to just quickly go through general guiding principles for singing and even for music in worship. Now, in determining what music is acceptable in worship, we should acknowledge that the words that we sing ought to be as biblical as the prayers that we pray and the words that we preach. Right? When I preach, I'm not confined to simply say the words of my ESV translation, but I do have the responsibility to speak and to preach words that are faithfully grounded in, that, in the word of God. And so in the same way, when we're choosing lyrics and choosing music for uh, worship, we have that same responsibility to choose music that is faithful to the word of God and build upon the word of God. And honestly, same thing with our prayers, especially in corporate worship, that I have a responsibility not just to come up in the pulpit, and to begin to pray and to say things that are all over the place. Um, <laughs> I remember hearing a prayer, um, and listen, this is no, no bash on anyone, but I remember hearing a prayer that went something like this, uh, Father, thank you for dying on the cross. Uh, and and <laughs> it was like a mix, it was mixing the order of, uh, and the functions of each person of the Trinity. It was like, Father, thank you for dying on the cross and for Christ uh, applying the work uh, in my soul And then i don't know what he said about the spirit but the order was all wrong and listen i think that the 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 prayer was acceptable um and i don't think that that the lord rejected his prayers i I know he meant well um but there's still it's still important to recognize that as i go up in the front and i pray that i need to i need to ask the lord to give me the words to guide the my people the people in the congregation to, to, to understand the truths of Scripture and to base my prayers in the Word of God. And what does that mean? That, that we can't pray honestly and sincerely? No, I think we should be sincere in our prayers. But we need to grow and mature in our prayers, and the way that we do that is by having the Word of God dwell in us uh, richly, uh, allowing the Word to inform how our affections ought to be as we approach God. With that said... I'm going to say the same thing for music. We need to have that level of, uh, we need to be responsible in the same way that we would all the other elements. And as you study the Psalms, uh, we generally know that they possess certain qualities. you notice this. The Psalms are very God-centered. There's dignity in them, biblical ideas, themes. There, there's uh, order and resolution, et cetera, et cetera. The hymns, and songs that we sing should follow that same pattern that the psalter has modeled for us. I'm going to read a statement that I found in the Christian Reformed Psalter hymnal. And when I, when I read that statement, it's a statement of, of, of the principle for music in the church. And the statement, I think, is very helpful on how we ought to think uh, when it comes to selecting music and thinking on what, what kind of music ought to be acceptable to God. In worship the first point that this um, this statement makes is that the music of the church should represent the full range of the revelation of God and a lot of contemporary churches out here they'll probably focus on one aspect of, of God maybe a positive aspect of God and what I mean by positive I mean something that that is easy to embrace like the love of God for example and they forget about the other attributes of God. And so there's a strong emphasis on one aspect of God, but they don't consider the full range of the revelation of God. And so our music needs to represent that. Number two, the service of music should contribute to the service of the word. In other words, the only reason why we sing and we're commanded to sing is to have that element serve the ministry of the word. That's the primary focus, uh, function of, of music and singing in, uh, in worship services. It's not for you to get emotionally hyped or stirred up, even though you should have your heart engaged when you sing. But that's the, the, the stirring up of your emotions is not priority at all in uh, the service of music. Again, it should contribute to the service of the word. Number three, the poetry of the songs should be good poetry. It should not have to rely upon the music to carry it. The music of the songs should be artistically defensible as good music. It should not have to rely upon, uh, you know, the music to carry the lyrics. Number four, the poetry of the songs should be true to the inspired word. So such poetry at the same time must be vital, free from the defects of artificiality and sentimentality, right? Five... The poetry should be genuinely expressive of religious experience, but should be in harmony with the whole counsel of God. Right? It shouldn't be imbalanced. There needs to be uh, harmony with the whole counsel of God. Um, imagine going to a church where all, all the music and the lyrics just call you to repent, 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 and you never hear that assurance of pardon or, or, or a gospel presentation in the music or, or something that assures your faith. Uh, is secure in Christ. Uh, it's in balance. It needs to be in harmony with the whole council of God. Um, number six: the music should be suitable to a worship service or to uh, to, uh, to to that context, to that setting. Number seven: music of the church should not suggest places or occasions other than the church and worship lest the secular association with the music interfere with the worshippers service. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I experienced. And this is, um, this is a, this is a real experience. I'll never forget. I, I was invited to speak at a church one time and uh, during the offering, uh, you know, they had a band up front. And so they had different musicians. They had the guitarist, the drummer and the singers. And during the time of, of, uh, offering, the, the band decided to play the theme song to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, yeah, so they didn't sing the lyrics, but they can't fool me. I know that song by heart. Uh, and uh, I'm sitting there, uh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, the part where I go up. And I'm hearing this. I'm like, I can't believe that this church would even think to do such a thing. Now, for, there are a lot of Christians today. Let me—I I have to say, there are a lot of Christians today that would see no problem with that. And we have to—we have to ask ourselves: what, what are our sensibilities? How are we approaching God when it comes to worship? This is—this is not the place, or the time, or the setting for uh, music that has that level of, of secular association; that—that that it becomes a distraction to that God word focus that we ought to have when it comes to worship. And then the last point is that the music of the church should be expressive of our reformed tradition. What do I mean by that? Or or what does this mean by that? Well, it means that there are certain beliefs that we have um, and that that we believe and we confess to be true to the scriptures and, and we should sing in line with that understanding, in line with that tradition. Um, the reformed faith has, I think, strong biblical principles that should guide our decision making when it comes to, um, to to the worship of God in song. And so again, the music of the church should be expressive of our reformed tradition. Um, A couple additional points worth mentioning. I think it's important to state that the primary role of music in worship is for the congregation to express praise and worship to God. And and consequently, the music of worship should be primarily geared toward congregational participation, as uh, as we see commanded in Colossians 3.16. This would imply that the predominance of the music in the worship service should be of the nature of congregational participation. We've heard those solos, we've heard those songs on the radio where um, the singer is singing in in ranges that are wonderful and pleasing, Um, but most of the time that kind of thing doesn't work in in the congregational setting because the goal is that we sing together. The goal is that there's congregational participation. Um, And those things need to be considered when we select our music. Hymns, both old and new, we, I've seen good hymns, uh, have fulfilled that requirement. When we look at those good hymns that have lasted, they've been able to meet those requirements. But I, I should say that really it's not a matter of new or old. Uh, simply because a hymn is new does not make it lesser quality than an older hymn, nor does the fact that it is new make it a higher quality, so vice versa. Some people say new is better or old is better. It's not a matter of new or old. It's a matter matter of um, meeting the requirement that we see biblically. A hymn, regardless of when it was written, should conform to the biblical standards fitting for the worship of God and the theological standards of Scripture. Uh, And I would say that the Psalms should be a pattern for the songs that we sing in worship. Um, So... Finally, I want to address the use of musical instruments in worship. It should be be obvious, first of all, that the use of musical instruments in worship are not seen in the New Testament. And even in the Old Testament, they were part of the temple worship and not the synagogue worship, which New Testament worship models after. But with that said, I don't intend to argue that musical instruments are not permitted in New Covenant worship. But I do want to argue for considering the right and fitting use of instruments. Okay? If a church uses musical instruments, it should be categorized as a circumstance of worship and not as an element to the worship of God. If musical instruments are used, its goal should only be to accompany and to guide congregational singing. If it overpowers the singing of the congregation, either in volume or even in arrangement, then it's not functioning as it was intended by Scripture and I think should be altered or reconsidered. Again, ultimately, the worship commanded by God is strictly the congregational singing of his people and not the playing of the instrument, even though it may serve its purposes. And what we have to protect is the element. Um, That must take priority. Anyway, I hope, I hope th- this class was helpful in understanding the goal and purpose of the element of singing in our worship. Uh, our singing in worship needs to be God-centered and word-centered. We need to fear him in this area. We all know that music is a powerful tool in the hands of Satan, and therefore we must seek to offer acceptable worship to God in the area of singing since it is an element that is both directed to God and also directed to each other. So, again, may God continue to give us wisdom as we seek to reform our worship in accordance to Scripture. Amen? Amen. Uh, There will be a time for questions. uh, That will be at the end of the series. So there's going to be a a week at the end where we will dedicate to answering any questions that you may have. I'm sure there are a lot of questions related to this issue. Um, There's a box here. Uh, with some cards you don't have to get it now but when the class is over I'll, I'll pray now and then the class will be over you can grab a card and just write out your questions and feel free to give them to me and we're going to think through them and be able to answer them in that time designated for for the question and answers amen uh, let me go ahead and close this off in prayer gracious lord we thank you for your instruction in scripture Uh, We ask that we would heed to it and and continue to offer you acceptable worship. May your Holy Spirit guide us to this goal, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.